Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. New to Podcast One Sportsnet, Baseball and Chill, and the Big 12 Podcast. Listen each week to Kelly Nash and Scott Brom from the MLB Network as they cover all the big storylines and trending topics on and off the diamond in Baseball and Chill. Then jump over to the Big 12 Podcast and listen to Chuck Cooperstein each week as he checks in with Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby and other guests to go over the best highlights and look ahead to the biggest events in the conference. Listen free to both of these shows exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOneSports.com, and the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend, leave a rating and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Another really eventful week of NBA transactions. Happy that this ended up going later in the week because it allows us to cover both the big Kawhi Leonard, DeMar DeRozan trade with the Toronto Raptors and the Spurs, and also the Carmelo Anthony, Dennis Schroeder hodgepodge that was the OKC Philly Atlanta trade. And to talk with me about it, Tim Pontemps of the Washington Post, longtime friend of the show, and a good guy to navigate all of it. One of the other fun wrinkles of this is that we find out the Michael Beasley news during the broadcast. Not only that he got signed by the Lakers, but also the amount of money that they decided to pay him. So we talk about that and that leads into a conversation kind of about how they fit into all this. And so really enjoyed it. Conversation runs a little bit under an hour and a half, and it's brought to you by three sponsors, MeUndies.com slash RealGM. If you go to MeUndies, you can get some great underwear, 15% off risk-free offer, and then there's an additional offer, which I talk about during the show. Quip toothbrushes, fantastic. Use it all the time. Getquip.com slash RealGM. Get you a free refill pack. Awesome. Check it out. And then TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. As I said, hour and a half in that range, lots of ground to cover. Talk about the logistics of the Kawhi trade a lot and just how how it all happened. And I really enjoyed getting Tim's perspective because we think about this trade pretty differently. And I, I embrace that diversity of perspective. Thanks so much for coming on. Always a good time, Danny. What's happening? This has been a pretty strange week in terms of of the NBA. I mean, it it never seemed like it was done because there were just kind of these looming threads, but both of them, I I think, resolved in surprising ways. The two I'm referring to are the Kawhi trade, which ended up being with the Raptors, and the Mellow trade, which ended up being with the Hawks, with Dennis Schroeder involved. We'll, of course, get to both those, but I think the place to start here is is with Kawhi and Danny Green for DeRozan, Jakob Pertl, and that, that draft pick, and I found this trade fascinating from a, a series of different perspectives, but I want to start with the Raptors because there is this kind of question of just, we don't know what, what Kawhi they're getting, we don't really know that, but they are a substantially more interesting team today than they were a week ago. Yeah, no question. The trade definitely puts them on another level in terms of their ceiling. They didn't give up uh, really any of the young guys that I expected they would have to to make this kind of a trade, which is an impressive job by them. At the same time, it is going to be interesting to see what version of Kawhi they get. As you said, it's going to be interesting to see if there's any shenanigans in terms of him deciding not to show up. I don't really, I think a lot of that stuff has been overblown and I don't anticipate it being a problem. But given how weird the last year has been for him, you can't really rule it out. But all that being said, uh, it's uh, clearly a a great trade for the for the Raptors. Frankly, we'll get to it. I actually think it's a pretty good trade for the Spurs too, given where the position they were in. But 
Uh, it's not as much as I thought they were going to have to give up. And I, I think from that standpoint, uh, combined with the fact that if he's healthy, they got a top five player in the league on their team now, it certainly changes the trajectory of the franchise. And like you said, you know, it, it, it adds another wrinkle to a team that I think most of us in the basketball world were kind of tired of. And frankly, I think, listen, to, I don't know when this is going to post, but you know, we're talking on Friday and listening to Masai Ujiri's press conference today, you could tell he was kind of tired of it too. And kind of, you know, he said five or six times, you know, this is a team that has kind of done the same thing over and over again. And at some point, something has to change. And between firing Dwayne Casey and making this trade, it's, you know, it's clearly changed a lot. And they're going to be a team that I'm really excited to watch next season. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely a good point of this whole process is that while Toronto, it- it's so strange that this happens on the heels of them finishing with the best record in the Eastern Conference because, and, and that has been lost a little bit in the shuffle, partially because that and is the best a- record in franchise history by yeah. a good amount, too. I mean, some of that is a little bit misleading because they, they benefited from particularly Boston just having terrible injury luck and they were pretty healthy. But, you know, th- this was a team that really wasn't going anywhere in terms of outside of their expectations. And they would have had a clearer path to advancing in the East without LeBron there, but I think the Celtics are are on their way to being something really good, and the Sixers hopefully will be there at some point in the near term as well. And this is just, it, it's a shakeup, and uh, something that struck me when I was working on the piece that I wrote for The Athletic about this deal is just how many different kind of puzzle pieces this gives the Raptors. I mean, so you have the presumptive, you know, kind of key guys of Kawhi and Lowry and Danny Green and OG Ananobi and Ibaka and Valanciunas, but then also just a lot of the other kind of things. Fred Van Vliet, who they re-signed, DeLon Wright is still around. Maybe they can get something out of CJ Miles or Norman Powell that wasn't there before. And also just what this trade, if Kawhi can be anything close to what he what he was in 16-17, if that makes it a little bit easier for Kyle Lowry, because one of the parts of this Raptors team that has been so disheartening over the last couple of years has been that both Lowry and DeRozan just aren't capable of shouldering the larger burden that comes with playing better opponents, play, both broadly and specifically at their positions in the playoffs. And I think Kawhi, if he can be anything close offensively to what he was, gives them a more resilient element offensively and obviously a miles better defender as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is going to be really interesting to see how that goes because because you're right. They, that's been, you know, this has been a team that has consistently been great in the regular season and has consistently been less than great in the playoffs and against everybody, not just against LeBron, like even this year. No, I, I want to say this was the first year they won a playoff series that was less than seven games, and it took six games, and probably would have been seven games if Otto Porter wasn't hurt, right? So uh, this isn't a Raptors, and that was against the eight seed as a one seed after winning fifty nine games. So this, this isn't exactly a Raptors team that has covered itself in glory in the playoffs. And you know, one thing that I do think is going to be very interesting to monitor here uh, from that standpoint is Demar Derozan. Say what you want about him from his game on the court, and obviously he did have flaws. So he, I think, has been honestly a little bit underrated because of how much people focus on the flaws that he has. He was the unquestioned leader of that team. And when they would have bad performances in the playoffs, Kyle Lowry would sometimes not talk to the media and would kind of not really own up to things. And Tamar was always there. They would sit up there together. He would always answer all the questions. He would always take all the bullets. And, I mean, let's be honest, with Kawhi and Kyle up there, that's not a lot of talking being done, right? And I, and you also have a first-year head coach in Nick Nurse who we have no idea what kind of voice he's going to have. He's not going to be the kind of, you know, commanding presence in the media that Dwayne Casey always was. So 
I think that dynamic of this whole team is going to be very interesting too from, from that standpoint when they do get in the playoffs and the pressure is high. You know, how are those guys going to handle that? But that being said, there's no question from a talent standpoint that, that Kawhi Leonard, if healthy, gives them the kind of anchor piece that they have not had previously. And frankly, when he's right, few teams in the league have it all because, you know, there's only so many opportunities you get to get a top five player in the league. And he, when he's right, is unquestionably one of them. And on top of that, I think one of the most important elements of this trade from the Raptors' perspective is that they were able to do it without giving up OG Ananobi. I mean, you and I talked, there was that fun window that was in an incredibly uncomfortable hour of the day from when I think it was Shams originally had the, like, they're, they're close here to it actually happening. And yeah. you, you and I discussed some potential frameworks for the deal, none of which ended up being the actual terms. But, like, I well, basically... Yeah, we, I mean, I was I was pretty... I mean, I told you at the time, I was sure Danny Green was going to wind up being in the deal because of salary matching. But mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm really stunned that they didn't get OG and Obi in the trade. And, when you know, when you look at the larger framework, which I assume you're going to get to, it really does speak to the fact that the Spurs just had no leverage at all here because they, you know, they basically had to just take the only offer they could get. Exactly. And I, I think that's a part of it. And also, I think just that the Raptors treated DeRozan as a, you know, as an established All-NBA player. And DeRozan was second-team All-NBA last year, was third-team the year before, so there is an argument to be made there. Now, there are people, that inc- a group that includes me, that would argue that while DeRozan is a wonderful regular season player, and I don't want to discount that because it's not fair to him to say, oh, you know, like all, all the all, a lot of the misgivings that I have with DeRozan are valid, but they are a part of the pill picture, not the whole thing. Right. But at but at the same point, they are important if your goal is to do more than win a bunch of regular season games. And yep. so what Ananobi brought is the kind of the upside of this. And Ananobi, he is a player who is still gonna get a, need to get a lot better to be an overall impact maker. But I mean. I was deeply critical of Dwayne Casey, incidentally, in the playoffs for not using Ananobi enough as a one-on-one defender. And you think about what that skill set brings, and that is a a, a guy who can not necessarily shut down, but at least slow down high-level opposition at a framework like guys like LeBron and Giannis that will always have value in the league because they're always going to be these like six foot eight, six foot nine, six foot ten guys that do a lot of damage, and so. OG is is valuable now. He will become more valuable with time, and as he, you know, hopefully he gets a whole lot better, and so the offensive game can work and everything else like that. And the the crazy irony of all that in terms of the Spurs, and I'm sure the Spurs wanted him in the deal. It's not like they're like, oh, OG sucks or anything like that. I, pre- I presume that was not a part of these negotiations. But the, the irony of it is that Kawhi Leonard is one of the few people in that conversation as well. Now, Kawhi is significantly better as a defensive player. Kawhi is one of the best perimeter defenders of all time. But that archetype is demonstrated in terms of its value with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I mean, there's no question the Spurs would have preferred to have Ananobi, right? I mean, I think we can safely say that. When you look at the framework of this deal, they get a top 20 protected first-round pick, which is basically unheard of. And, you, you know, they get Jakob Pertl, who's a nice center, who is going to be, I think, a starting center, who is another guy who may, you know, kind of in a, a much, you know, lower tier than DeRozan, have struggles in the playoffs, right, with his skill set. But... 
he's a good defensive center. He's smart. He doesn't make mistakes. Like, I think he's going to develop it with the Spurs system into a really nice long-term starting center, which is not an, in, not an inconsequential thing. But, you know, in a league where, like you said, wings are at a premium, where if, if you can, in my opinion, if, if there's a tie between, or if there's a, an option to either get a wing or a big, in any instance, I'm taking a wing with where the league is going. And the fact that there's the replacement level for big is just very high right now. Uh, again, I think it just speaks to the fact that, you know, the Spurs didn't have a lot of leverage at all. And that's why, to me, the fact that they did were able to get DeRozan and a guy who I think is going to be a starting center and a pick that they'll probably get because I think Kawhi is going to play this year and the, the Raptors will be fine. I think that really is about the best offer they could have gotten, which just really speaks to how strange this entire situation has been. Right. And from this, we'll pivot to the Spurs and then pivot back. But so with San Antonio, that lack of real upside is like, not not of massive upside, though they, they certainly is some in this deal, is really reflected in both Pirtle and that top 20 pick, where it's like, okay, you know, I, I like Yaka Pirtle. I think I'm higher on Pirtle than, than most people in our business. I think that he could be a, he's a modern center in terms of that he's a little bit more capable of switching, but he's not all the way there. Doesn't have a jump shot yet. He's taken five shots outside of 16 feet in his NBA career. He can get that. I think the mechanics of his shot are fine. Right. But but he you know but he, but he's more like what is your what is your comp for him? Huh. I've been trying to think of one while you were talking, and I, I agree with you on everything you're saying. But he's kind of a he's kind of a hard guy for me to to think of a comparison to. I don't know. It, it's I don't know if it's because they're both European guys. I don't know his game well enough to make this firm. But the first guy I thought of was Rick Smith. I don't know why that was the first guy. I that's a, that's an interesting one. I could see that Smith's at this point is a better jump shooter. But yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty interesting. Yeah, um, like a, a guy who's capable on defense, but isn't going to be the centerpiece of it, and then offensively doesn't really take much off the table but might not add as much. I also happen to see Jakob Pertl, you were there too, Jakob Pertl's best offensive rebounding game I think of his entire life was yes. that game against the Warriors where he just beasted them on the glass. Yes. And, and the guy and, he kind of reminds me of is another, another European guy, but a better defensive version of Marcin Gortat, a guy who I think is going to be a good screener. He's pretty smart. He, he doesn't really make mistakes. Now, Gortat is, I think, more groundbound, even a little smaller than Pertl, who's a, a big guy and and. I think, like you said, we'll develop kind of that same kind of jump shot that Gretzkar talked did. But still, like again, like that's a that's a pretty solid player long term, and that ties in with with the draft pick. So it's this new thing, which I don't know if Sam Presti popularized it or created it out of whole cloth. I don't I don't have the encyclopedic memory of NBA trade history that would be useful for my job. But this idea of a <laughs> of a pick that is protected for one year and then immediately converts. And they did that with Jeremy Grant. They did that in the Carmelo trade that we will talk about later on. And so what that is for the Spurs is it's certainly an asset. I mean, it, it absolutely is. And there's a, a pretty good chance that it will convey this year. But the best it can be is the number 21 pick. And so right. that's, you know, that's, that's useful. But it's it's not anything that, is, you know, the good players have been taken after 20 all the time, including by both of these teams in, in the past. But it's just, it's a, uh, a, a strange asset. And again, it reflects, I would say, more than anything, the lack of leverage that San Antonio had. And so you, you get back these pieces, which are all certainly useful. I would say that at least two of the three will help San Antonio in their quest to make the playoffs this upcoming year. But they are not the centerpieces of the Spurs and cannot really even be transformed into the centerpieces unless something really surprising happens. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I also think the Spurs are getting too much 
uh, crap for this trade personally. I understand, like, like I've said a couple times, I think they just didn't have any leverage here, which for reasons we can get into. Um, I also think the haul is pretty good for them. Like people are killing them for getting guys that don't have high ceilings. And like you said, I, I think DeRozan, because like NBA Twitter and kind of basket, the basketball world has gotten a lot smarter in a lot of positive ways over the past five years or so. I, I think people are are kind of just overlooking the fact that this guy is a really good player who has, you know, worked his way every year, gotten better. I mean, remember, it wasn't long ago that DeMar DeRozan signed a four-year, $40 million extension with the Raptors, and the league went, oh, my God, that is going to be a disastrous contract, right? And he's gone from that to a guy who has deservedly made some all-star teams, has deservedly made, you know, I, I mean, you could quibble with whether he should have made All-NBA the last two years, but it's at least safe to say I think that he's a borderline All-NBA player, which means he's a top 25 player in the league who's been on a gold medal winning Olympic team, who is a model guy in the community, who's really the first guy ever that the Raptors have had commit to being a Raptor long-term, which I think means something. So, you know, you add all that stuff together and look, San Antonio, again, you can quibble with this and you could say that this is because of prior mismanagement. But the fact is for the next two years, they weren't going to have any real cap room anyway. And now they've added to a 47 win team, a guy that's a legitimate 25 point a game scorer who can, you know, who has improved his handling, who would chip England might even take another step of the three point shooting. I mean, it should be said DeMar DeRozan's gotten better every single year for the past five years, which people always say NBA players do, but they don't always. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. So you combine him with LaMarcus Aldridge, who ironically is kind of the DeMar DeRozan of forwards at this point. And I think the Spurs are going to have a really solid team for the next couple of years. I think DeMar at that point probably opts out of his contract at 30 or 31 in the summer of 2020. DeMar, I think LaMarcus, if he plays well, will probably do the same. And then all of a sudden the Spurs have, you know, basically an empty cap sheet after winning 50 plus games for the next couple of years. Maybe or maybe not Greg Popovich is still around and they can have a full reset. At this point, it was pretty clear that the Kawhi situation had just run its course there and they had to do something. And they didn't have an offer from Boston that was anything legitimate. They couldn't get any of Philly's young guys that were in that of their elite level young guys. And the Lakers, I don't think they were going to trade him to the Lakers for a variety of reasons. And on top of that, the Lakers, once LeBron was willing to sign there for free and without saying, hey, I need you to go get another guy, uh, were not going to be in a position where they were going to give up anything of substance. So you, you combine all that together. And I think getting an, you know, a borderline All-NBA player for two years for a guy who didn't play last year and we're not even 100% sure is healthy and it was not going to be there, it seemed like, beyond this season, I think is a pretty decent return for them. And I think the fact that they're going to be a 55-win team for the next couple of years or a 50-55-win to 55 win team probably, I don't think that's a horrible outcome for a team that really didn't have a lot of flexibility to go in a different direction anyway. There are two different components of that, which I think are, are both important. So one is the offer that the Spurs took, and we'll get to that. But the second right. is the the other offers that were available. And I think something that San Antonio ran into, and this was a benefit of the mock-off season, this was a benefit of everything else, was this problem that San Antonio had where the teams that had the most assets were also good enough to be a little bit risk-averse. So yep. this was not a circumstance where a team was sitting there going, well, we need this swing to be relevant, or we need this swing to do whatever. Boston, you know, and their their, their money is tied up in players that are genuinely good at basketball, and they have a high ceiling. So Right, let's just, let's just stop for a second on Boston, okay? Everybody's saying Boston was offering these, quote, pick-heavy packages. 
I mean, look, they were not willing to offer any of their five best players from a trade standpoint. And it's even hard. Trade. It's even hard to make them the money work f- for them right. if they're not going to include any of those guys. Like it's basically it, like a lot of filler, and then they do have some good draft assets. But yeah, a Boston, I don't think of as a, a really serious team in this. Assuming their best players weren't on the board, just because there isn't as much of a trade to be on the books. Right, they would have. They would have basically. I'm just. I just want to make people aware of this because sure. it, it's not something they really know. The offer they would have had to offer would have been something along the lines of giving Marcus Smart a max contract because of basier compensation issues uh, to make the money work. Plus, taking on guys like Gershon Yabuselli, maybe a Terry Rozier, like a bunch of these like mid-tier guys that aren't making much money that you then have to pay a lot of money long-term that aren't really getting you anywhere. Uh, and like, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess with the way Boston has handled things in the past, the picks they were offering were probably picks like the Clipper first-round pick that becomes uh, second-round picks in a year if, if this year, I guess in two years, if this year or next year the Clippers don't make the playoffs, which, are, which doesn't seem likely at this point that they will. So uh, for people saying, well, they could have gotten all these picks from the, the, the Celtics and this kind of thing, like I just don't think that's – I don't think the offer they would have gotten from Boston was really anywhere near the one they got from Toronto, even, even with the issues that the Toronto one has. I agree with that, and – I also don't think the Kings pick was on the board. <laughs> you know, I think it was pick heavy, not involving their premium exactly. draft asset. Exactly. exactly. And so you can you can do something that's heavy in picks and still doesn't include that, and anything else wouldn't have been really in the right ballpark. The Sixers are a different conversation for a couple reasons. One, they had the salary filler really easily, whether that be Robert yep. Covington or Wilson Chandler, or you know, they could they could do a lot of different things there. Zach Lowe had the reporting that San Antonio wanted or even demanded either Simmons or Embiid, which if they did that, that's a non-starter because that was never going to happen. And I think Philly could have put together a better offer than what they got from Toronto, depending on what San Antonio wanted. And that's what ties back to what I think is the big point. And so my overarching theme, and I didn't think of this until after this trade happened. I didn't think of it until after we recorded the dunked on after it happened, is this idea of paralleling Greg Popovich with Dirk Nowitzki. And so Dallas has been in this strange holding pattern for the last couple of years because while it hasn't been every decision they've made, you know, they drafted Dennis Smith, who was a, a long a long runway type of guy. Doncic could yep. end up being the same. A yep. lot of their other moves were these kind of capable veterans on contracts of varying lengths that would make sense with Dirk Nowitzki and maximize that opportunity. Wes Matthews fits within this. DeAndre Jordan both times fit w- fits within this. And so it was kind of this idea of, well, we have this guy. He's really valuable to our team. And while it isn't going to be everything we do, we're going to make that, you know, we're going to try to build good teams around him. And it took until this deal for me to understand that that's basically what San Antonio has been doing. Marcus Aldridge, solid vet, had a better year last season than I expected, really pulled something out. San Antonio as a team without Kawhi Leonard was far better last season than I expected. But a lot of the moves that they've made, whether that be giving Patty Mills the money they did or Pau Gasol twice, you know, signing him and then and then having he opted out and re-signing him right. again, it's all kind of this security blanket stuff for a coach who is turning 70 this upcoming season and who is one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach in NBA history. 
And all of a sudden, all this stuff started to make sense to me. And I, I wrote in the piece, and one person objected to my use of language, but there was a reason I did it, was that I don't know this for sure, but it would make sense to me that Kawhi Leonard wouldn't love that because they created a team that had a high immediate floor, but a pretty low ceiling. And Kawhi Leonard is, you know, if you're going to thinking about signing for a team for the long term, you're not exactly looking for a kind of a comfortable like landing place for the next couple of years and then upside down question mark after that. So I don't think that's why this relationship fell apart. I don't think any of that. But it, it might have factored in for him of like, what is this team doing to build for the modern NBA? What are they doing to build around me? I think you can make a pretty compelling counter argument that the Spurs got Pau Gasol to opt out because they thought they had a real shot at Chris Paul. And then that got completely flipped on its head and they were stuck with Pau Gasol, who they probably made an agreement with thinking they had a good shot at Chris Paul and then had to honor it later. And I also think you can argue that the Spurs won 60 something games the last year Kawhi Leonard was healthy and were up by 20 something points in game one of the U.S. Conference Finals when uh, he landed on Zaza Pachulia's foot and sprained his ankle and didn't play again in that series. So, yes, while I agree with what you're saying to a point, I don't really think that it's necessarily fair to say, well, the Spurs have only done all this short-term anachronistic thinking with this roster, and they're not going anywhere, right? I get that to a point, but I also think that if Chris Paul gets a free agency and they managed to sign him two summers ago, this whole conversation is much different. Or if Kawhi Leonard plays last season and is healthy and gets offered and then signs the Supermax, I think this whole conversation is different. I think the fact is we're talking about a situation where a player in more, one of the more odd situations I can ever remember, you know, really not having a, a true agent, uh, not having, you know, kind of handling the situation in about as odd a way as you can, you know, kind of thrown this whole thing into a loop. And I, I, it's hard for me to see that the, the, the spur, that the Kawhi's camp looks at this as like, well, the Spurs, they handled the roster badly. So we don't want to be here anymore. I, I'm, I feel pretty confident that that's not the case, which, you know, again, is another reason why this entire situation is about as odd a situation as there's been in the league. And that's why I think I think it's kind of unfair to rip the Spurs here, because like I, this is kind of what I was getting back to before with the DeMar thing. I understand people's criticisms of DeMar, but like, for instance, there are people who in the basketball universe who were saying things like Danny Green's a better player than DeMar. Like, all right, let's relax with stuff like that. And also, I don't think the Spurs took this deal because it was the best, it was the, the, the most logical, uh, long, short-term option and that they turned down better long-term options. To me, if the, if the Sixers weren't going to include Markel Fultz, which I don't think they were going to anyway, whether the Spurs wanted him or not, and I'm, I'm honestly not sure if they did or not. At that point, I don't think the, I don't think the, the Sixers offering Robert Covington and Dario Saric is a better offer than this or really a so much better offer than this that it's a no-brainer for the Spurs to take it. I, I think then you're kind of looking at this in varying degrees, and you can argue that's a better deal. Uh, you can also argue that you're going to have to pay Darius Arch a lot of money in a year, and is that really, or two, and is that really worth it either? So I, I guess all I would say is that I, I think I feel for the Spurs on some level because a lot of the situation, I'm not sure what they could have done differently. I, I don't really think they screwed up this injury thing that badly. I, I think if you ask people around the league and with the Spurs, you get a lot of, we don't really understand how this got to this point and we would have liked to have been able to stop it, but we're also not really sure what we could have done to stop it. Um, and, and, and at that point, I just think you have to kind of look at it and go, well, I guess this is just the way it was going to be. And that's why I think, I really believe that 
they got about as good of an offer as they could have gotten, period, regardless of short or long term, because I, I just don't think the offers were there for them to really do something more. And, and again, this goes back to, again, we're talking about a guy, a situation where you have a player who was hurt last year, who has not really communicated with teams. Masai today basically said, yeah, we don't know if he's healthy or not. We think he's going to be healthy, but he hasn't even taken his physical yet. We don't know what it's going to look like. We haven't really gotten any information on that. So it's a pretty unprecedented situation all around. And I think the Spurs salvaged it as best they could when they, I'm sure, wouldn't have wanted to make any trade. But I, I don't think they had an option to do anything what they just did. That is a completely reasonable interpretation of, of what happened. And, and one that is important to have out there because we don't know what other offers were on the table. And San Antonio, you know, as you get into like, I would me with my Danny LaRue's personal preferences would have preferred the Covington charge, especially if there was a first that actually was useful in that trade. I would have, but I understand that my preferences are very different from a lot of other people's. And right. you're, you're within the realm, as you said, kind of in the band, you know, like where, where it's, yeah, I totally agree with you. That's a, that'd be a, that's a compelling discussion, right? Which of those trades is better, but it's not like, oh man, they turned down whatever Jalen Brown and the Kings pick because they wanted a guy who could help them win now. Like, I think if they'd gotten Jalen Brown in the Kings pick, I, I, they would have done that trade. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they didn't. Like, it's not right. like and, that. And that, ties in, and that ties in with Kawhi's people as well. And and I, I'm not blaming him at all for this. I know San Antonio people, more, more their fans than the front office, obviously, sure. would, would point to this and say, you know, like, Kawhi did an, a very effective job of lowering his own value by just having so little information out there. And that is both from the health perspective and possibly from the re-signing perspective. And I've always found that interesting because in a vast majority of circumstances, players benefit from reducing their own trade value because then they get to play with better guys. And with Kawhi Leonard, if he ends up being close to anything when he was, having OG Ananobi on that team is going to be a lot better for him than not having OG Ananobi on that team. And sure. so if that's the case, you know, you know, maybe it closed the door in this specific iteration on some of the other teams like Boston. But I don't know that he necessarily wanted to go there. I mean, if he wanted to clo- if he wanted to open that door, he damn sure could have. I mean, that that's an option that was available to them if they had through whatever outlet they wanted said, hey, we're willing to resign with you or whatever. Boston might have right. might have upped their offer. Maybe they wouldn't have, but they could have. And so you have all of that together. And I, I think what the other part of what the San Antonio element that that it's this is very much not in my own wheelhouse as a somebody who thinks about the league, but it is very important is defining success in different ways. And this is kind of what I was getting at with the idea of a security blanket or whatever with, with Popovich is this San Antonio team. Sure, they don't have the ceiling. I, I, I would be surprised if with this DeRozan Aldridge core if they win more than one playoff series over the next couple of years. But I do expect them to make the playoffs. And there is a specific value to that. And San Antonio, through their other moves, had basically committed themselves to not having cap space the next couple of years. So the opportunity cost for this deal is more what, you know, theoretically what they could have gotten in a different offer. And then cap space they weren't going to use anyway. So... If you can make your team better, if you can raise your floor and raise your ceiling, you know, a little bit to compare to, if, like, obviously compared to Leonard leaving for nothing or something like that. Well, there's no shame in that necessarily because that's still a pretty good place to be, especially for a franchise as successful as the Spurs have been. There is this championship or bust mentality that I think has become far too pervasive in basketball kind of thinking for fans and media alike. And there are a whole lot of 
successful outcomes. And the Raptors were in this land before this, where you're, you're probably not going to win a championship, but you're still a competitive team. There's still a reason for the fans to show up at the arena 41 times a year, hopefully 45 to 50 times a year if you make the playoffs. And there is a very reasonable case to make with the if the premium a- assets weren't on the table that San Antonio worked within that framework to build the best team they could. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of where I come down. I, I don't really think they had an option to do really anything different than what they did. And, and, and it's like, I think you, you framing it in the championship or bust thing, I think, is accurate. Because, again, like, DeMar DeRozan's really good. Like I said, I, I'm not naming anybody on purpose. But, like, the idea that Danny Green's a better player than DeMar DeRozan is nonsense. But that's an opinion that, like, actually is out there among, you know, more than one person. And part of the thinking behind something like that is because DeMar DeRozan struggled in the playoffs. Well, you know what? Like, winning, being uh, being the leader of a team that won 59 games, like, is not an inconsequential thing. And being part of a team that, you know, has had the five best seasons in a row in Raptors franchise history and has, you know, established that franchise as a, a real legitimate place in the league as opposed to one nobody wants to play for, which it was up until the past few seasons, uh, is a meaningful thing. And, yeah, I mean, they at some point got, you know, frustrated with the fact they couldn't go farther in the playoffs and wanted to make a change. But that doesn't mean the last five years were a failure by any stretch. And along the same lines, San Antonio was not in a position to do anything different than kind of stick with the group they have for two seasons anyway. So to me, they have significantly increased their ceiling in the regular season for the next two years. Now, you're right. In the playoffs, I would agree with you. I think it's more likely than not. You know, if you set the over-under for me at half of, at one and a half playoff series over the next two years that they win, I would say it's probably, I'd probably take the under. I might take the under on half a series, right? If I, it's just like, if they lost in the first round the next two years, it wouldn't shock me. But if you're San Antonio, if the choice is, hey, let's be a 50 to 55 win team in the West for the next couple of years and make the playoffs and remain a relevant good franchise and put ourselves in a position where two years from now, when we have a completely open cap book, you know, maybe we can go chase an Anthony Davis or we can go build our team then. And, you know, if Greg Popovich moves on, we have a chance to kind of pivot in whatever direction we want, having been good the past couple of years. Or, you know, do they, I mean, what's better? Hanging on to Kawhi, hoping he shows up, trying to mend fences, losing him for nothing, and then be, being a team that just takes a big drop off after that? I mean, yeah, I guess it could be. But, you know, I, I don't, it's not like DeMar DeRozan signed till he's 35. It's not like he is locked in making $45 million a year. He's making, 27 a year for the next two years with an option for a third year. I think he signed through his age 31 season, uh, maybe 32. So it's not, it's not like he's going to fall way off a cliff. He's a really good guy. You know, again, I think, I think the fact is the Spurs did as, about as well as they could have. And again, the fact that they got so little in, I mean, think about it this way. They basically got a slightly upgraded version of the Paul George trade last year, right? Victor Oladipo at this, you know, was not considered anywhere near the same player DeMar DeRozan was last year. And Jakob Pertl is probably a pretty good approximation of DeMontis Sabonis. Plus they got a pick. So I think when you consider all of the weirdness that's gone on around Kawhi and the fact that you're looking at a situation where they really had no leverage and there's all this weirdness going on that they couldn't really get away from. You know, I think that they did, they honestly did about as well as they possibly could have with this deal. And the fact that isn't that good really just speaks to how incredibly strange this entire thing has been. 
The parallel with Paul George is interesting. I hadn't really thought about that before. I'm sure some people will use hindsight bias on, on Victor Oladipo because he's been way better than we, we all, all of us thought he was going to be at that sure. point. One thing I mean, I'll say... Last, yeah. I mean, remember last year, he was starting that extension to people going, holy cow. Not only did Sam Presti trade Paul George, he got out from this extension, right? Right. I mean, I, I certainly thought that. I didn't think that was a good contract when Victor signed it. And after the way he played his first year in Oklahoma City, I certainly didn't think it was going to be a great deal going forward. And, you know, full credit to Victor, he proved everybody wrong last year. Right. And we'd seen Oladipo be a bigger fish in a smaller pond previously in Orlando, and he had not shown these signs as well. So this is not just, oh, he was being buried by Russell Westbrook or some of those stupid takes that are out there. One thing I will say on the DeRozan-Danny Green thing. So I I agree with you that if if you're looking for a best or second best player on a team, I would rather have DeMar DeRozan than Danny Green. If you start to slide below that and you're just looking for an ancillary option, if you're fortunate enough to have the other pieces in place, which 95% of NBA teams are not. In right. that certain circumstance, Danny Green's ability to compete on defense and, and be a low-usage offensive player, I think, can be more valuable. But that's such it's a, it's a very niche argument to make. Like, there are circumstances right. where I would rather have Danny Green than DeMar DeRozan. Certainly, sure. there absolutely sure. are. But sure. that's like it, it's kind of an argument that exists but doesn't really need to be made, which is funny for somebody who gets into arguments all the time to do. <laughs> but, it is, but it is right. the way I feel. And the other team we should the other thing we should talk about in this trade. Well, there's so there are two different moments. What the first one I want to talk about because it'll be shorter is I do not, and I haven't talked to Masai Ujiri. I won't talk to Masai Ujiri. I don't want to close the door on the prospect of Kawhi Leonard getting moved again before he ends this contract because. Oh, I thought you were going to say something different. <laughs> because, go, go, no, go ahead. Because Kawhi Leonard, you know, is now there. He's going to be in a different circumstance with Toronto. The incentive structure here is completely different. They're. You know, they understand that he might be gone at the end of this upcoming season. They don't have the pressure to get the best offer they can for him before training camp or anything like that. So they're, they could either keep him around and maybe he rehabilitates his value enough that one of these teams that was not willing to pony up changes that up, or they are willing to listen to a different set of offers or it were maybe just the combination of that and then being on the table. And so maybe there's a deal around, you know, I don't know, Lonzo or whoever else. Like there's, there's an offer that comes onto the table or that is on the table that they're willing to consider. And I consider Masai Ujiri a, a pragmatist. He is the inspiration for what I have coined as uh, with, with Amin Al-Hassan as the Nene test. That was Masai Ujiri who signed that contract. He signed Nene to a deal that was good enough, reasonable enough for him to get traded a few, you know, I think it was like six months later for JaVale McGee of all people. And that was something Ujiri did. And so my assumption has been that Toronto wants to keep him for the remainder of the contract and would love to sign Kawhi to his next contract. They believe that they can. But I also am of the belief that they could get an offer here from the Sixers or the Lakers, probably most likely, that would be like, okay, that's better. That's better. You know, the overall expected value of that is better than the expected value we have with Kawhi for whatever reason. I would be close to stunned if the the Raptors trade Kawhi uh, before next season. I I mean I wouldn't I guess I wouldn't completely. Well, I'm not rule saying it necessarily out, before next season. I'm saying before the de- no, 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 uh, before I, I'm at so, the deadline. I'm sorry. I'm I didn't mean before next season. I'm at before next. I, I before meant, he expired. Before he yeah. his option. I okay, meant, got I, it. I should have just said I should have just said I'd be stunned. I'd be stunned if they trade him at all uh, at any point because look Masai. Masai made this this deal knowing full well that it might not work out. And, I mean, basically, it 
it's the, speaking of, I mean, it's really the same exact thing as the Paul George situation all the way around. You know, it, the, the circumstances are a little different because of where the teams were, but this is the Sayujiri going, I can get uh, one of the five best players in the NBA on my team, and I'm going to take that chance. I'm going to spend the year recruiting him. We have a great city. We have all these things that should attract any kind of player like this. We can't get him otherwise. Let's get him here for a year. Try to sell him on staying. And if he wants to stay, great. And if not, we're just going to move. We moved along our rebuild by one year. Because like I said, basically, I think DeMar DeRozan's opting out of his last year of his contract. So it'd be a ton of cash space in 2020. He'll have probably been, you know, borderline all-star player the next two years. He could get another big deal. Like it makes sense that he'd opt out then, right? So essentially you're trading one year of, of DeMar DeRozan for one year of Kawhi Leonard. Like that, that to me is a win. So, you know, when you look at it from that framework and from that standpoint, I don't, I think it would have to be, you know, the reason I don't say it's a hundred percent because I guess if the Lakers are 15 and 20 in January and, you know, Kawhi is miserable in Toronto and the Lakers come to the, the Raptors and say, listen, LeBron is just ready to murder everybody. We are willing to give you all the young guys because they've now, LeBron has decided they all need to get sent to Siberia. We're, we're going to give you all the young guys or, you know, Ingram and Lonzo and something, whatever for Kawhi. You know, maybe in that scenario, Masai says, okay, I'll do it. But I, I think it would have to be some kind of just utterly insane offer that he couldn't say no. Otherwise, I think he's just going to ride this out. And unless it's a absolute catastrophe, um, which I really don't anticipate it being because frankly, Kawhi needs to show up and play and play well in order to actually get paid next summer. It's going to have to be such a disaster for him to even consider it that I, I think the chances are exceedingly low. On that logic, then, you could argue that one of the biggest winners of this trade is the Lakers, if you assume that that's where Kawhi wants to go. I am not 100% sure of that, but it, basically, if, on, on the belief that Toronto is not going to trade him, sure, Toronto, their chances of re, of having Kawhi Leonard on their team in 2019 and beyond are substantially higher now than they were before, so they benefit in that way as well. But, you know, the Lakers now, if, if Toronto is going to keep him, then building the best argument is is pretty much in their court. I mean, while Kawhi is from Riverside, and that is not quite Los Angeles for a lot of different reasons that I'm not going to get into, they they have a good argument here. And if, you know, maybe, maybe Kawhi wants something different a year from now, maybe he wants something different right now, and that's just not out there. But the Lakers are in a pretty good spot to hold firm. And really, all they need to worry about is that offer or dynamic changing and then Kawhi deciding he wants to resign there. Like that, I, That's why I always thought Philly was the biggest threat to the Lakers for Kawhi, because there was, that pos- I think, a greater possibility that he was going to resign there. So going to Toronto, certainly a chance. I mean, I think there's a meaningful chance that Toronto, if they get even, you know, not 100% Kawhi back, but, you know, you know, like 90% Kawhi back, that they're the best team in the Eastern Conference next year. And maybe Kawhi goes, hey, this is a cosmopolitan, modern city. We're a really good team. I want to stay. But that is, that's a possibility anywhere. And so I think the Lakers can feel firm on that. And the other reason why the Lakers can feel good about it is there are a lot of other great players, though they're not as great as Kawhi Leonard at his, at full strength on the market. And so the opportunity cost for them of striking out with Kawhi is pretty low because they could be talking with Jimmy Butler. They could be talking with Kyrie, Clay Thompson, any number of other guys about getting somewhere, getting someone who can be next to LeBron. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I I think the the Raptors have a very good chance of keeping uh, Kawhi just because I think Toronto's a, a, a heck of a market, and I, I think that 
you know, just there's there's a lot of guys who would enjoy playing in Toronto. And I, I think they have a chance to make the NBA Finals. And I think if you make the Finals, it's going to be hard to walk away from that, right? Or even if you make the Conference Finals. Uh, so I, I, th- I think they've got a real chance to keep him. And I, I look at the situation with the Lakers, and yeah, I mean, I don't really understand anything they've done this summer other than signing LeBron. But they definitely have the potential long-term to be uh, a prime destination. It's obviously always been a place people want to play. They do have LeBron there. And you're right. Next summer, there's 10 guys that are going to be free agents that are going to be star-level players that they can go chase. So, yeah, certainly they are well-positioned. Now we'll see how their season goes and if they're able to pull this off. But certainly the potential is there for them to do big things. Still lots more to talk about with Tim Bontemps, but I want to take a minute to talk about underwear. Yes, underwear. Everyone needs it. New is better than old, and they have to be comfortable. So you should absolutely get some MeUndies. They stay put, no moving around, come right to your door. You can get a matching pair for your partner if you want, and you will like them. It's great underwear. And I really enjoy what MeUndies is doing for their offer. It's actually kind of twofold with Real Jam Radio right now. First part pretty straightforward. You probably heard parts of this before that it is a no risk offer. So if you're not happy, they will refund you the cost and you get to keep them. And so what you do, you go to meundies.com slash real GM. And not only do you get that no risk offer, you get 15% off and you tell them that you came from us. So again, that's meundies.com slash real GM for that no risk offer and 15% off. The second thing they're doing actually goes on top of that. And that's for people who move quickly. If you order a pair and take a screenshot of your transaction and send it to gift at podcast1.com, with Real GM, Real Gem Radio in the subject line, whichever makes you happy, they'll figure out where it came from. Then you get another pair for free. So you get the first pair for 15% off by going to the URL, and then you get another pair from me free. The first 25 people to send that proof of purchase, screenshot of your purchase or of the receipt, you get that for free. So again, meundies.com slash real GM for the risk-free offer and 15%. If you move quickly, send it the receipt to gift at podcast1.com, putting real GM, real GM radio in the subject line so they know that you came from us and you get another pair for free. Check it out, meundies.com slash real GM. I've been thinking about this, just, just an off-the-cuff question, but let's say for whatever reason, your Raptors hypothetical or something else, that Kawhi Leonard is off the table. Of those other guys I mentioned, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson, who do you think would be the best fit next to LeBron of kind of that next tier down? Well, not, well, we won't include Kevin Durant because then that's the obvious answer. Yeah, I would say Clay Thompson is the best fit. Just his skill set would match really well with LeBron. He, you know, doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot. He's obviously a really good defensive player. He's, you know, probably the second best shooter in the world behind his current teammate. Uh, I don't think that Clay is going to leave and I think they'll keep him. But, uh, if they could get any of those guys, that would personally be, uh, my choice, especially because among those guys, I think he's clearly going to age the best, both because he's durable, uh, and because, uh, his skill set is one that translates to, you know, being better for longer. Whereas, you know, Jimmy, Kyrie have had injury issues. You kind of run down the list. There's, there's some question marks with those other guys where I think Clay, if his ceiling isn't quite as high, which I might even argue that just because of the situation he's been in, it's hard to tell. I think his floor is far higher and his durability and skill set will allow him to be a better fit for much longer. We also know that Clay is very comfortable playing next to ball dominant guys. He's done it his entire career and right. has had 
greater success. Also, his connections, of course, with the area are, are, are there. And, and Clay, you know, he gets into it defensively, too. I mean, I, I think Clay's defense has been a very underrated part of the Warriors' success over the last couple of years. Like, that, that is one part of it. I him. just think Clay Thompson, in period, has been underrated. Sure. Uh, both his impact and his ability as a player. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, dismiss him as just a product of where he is. And I, I think that is a, uh, a gross understatement of his ability and his impact on, on the, the Warriors and their roster. And while he didn't deliver in the same way this year with when Steph Curry was out, Clay Thompson in 2016, when Curry had the MCL, you know, fell on on Moda Yunus's back sweat. Clay Thompson was the best play or was the best player or damn close to it in that the rest of those playoffs until Curry came back. So that was like a round and a half, something like that. And the Warriors didn't have Kevin Durant then to shoulder the burden. It was basically Clay and Draymond Green. Both those guys did really, really well. And, you know, you don't want to take a six-game sample or whatever it was to say anything definitive about, oh, what, this is what Clay could have been if he had that opportunity. But he's a, a very good player and can fit in well with a lot of different pieces around him. I would personally be most interested in, in a Kyrie LeBron reunion because that is just totally insane. And the type it would of be, it would certainly be entertaining. There's no question. Oh about yeah. That. Well, and those guys, I mean, their games fit together really well. I mean, the idea yep. of kind of the your turn, my turn, two undeniable players is a beautiful model, and it works really well against talented defensive teams like the Warriors because one of the ways of beating them, and I think this is actually one of the differences between that 16 Cavs team and last year's Rockets team is that both Kyrie and LeBron, to me, were more undeniable than James Harden or Chris Paul. And so while the Rockets, I think, had a, they had better a better thesis of their team and surrounding talent, and they played their asses off in that series, those two incandescent stars really worked against the Warriors because, sure, also Steph Curry was hurt and all these other things, because they could just get buckets, and so if they defended enough and hit you know hit enough shots to make it work, they could beat one of the best teams, if not the best team of all time. Yeah, no question. I mean, it, from a entertainment standpoint, on a variety of levels, uh, Kyrie teaming up with LeBron again would be incredible. But uh, from a pure basketball like fit standpoint and long term durability standpoint, I would I would pick Clay. But yeah, I mean, if you as the as the writer in me, if you could tell me that that those guys were going to team up again, like sign me up for that. That would be incredible. Anything else on the quiet trade, or you want to move on to the the mellow one, which I think is is fascinating in its own way. Yeah, I think we've covered Kawhi enough. Let's <laughs> let's. There's enough other things to talk sure. about. Let's move on to that. So the most notable part for me of the mellow move was not Carmelo Anthony getting traded, Carmelo Anthony getting bought out. It's Oklahoma City and Sam Presti making the the affirmative, the positive bet on Dennis Schroeder and. Kevin Pelton, I think, was the first person I saw make the parallel. It was a natural one to Reggie Jackson. Who, oh, I, I made the same one. Not, yeah. I'm not knocking KP. I knocked the same one, and if you talk to the Thunder privately, which I did yesterday, uh, they will make the same one. Right, and so so I'm sure that's the archetype. And what, what makes this so different for me than a lot of other deals is that there is a possibility that Dennis Schroeder works there. He's been, you know, other than last year where he was a disaster in catch-and-shoot circumstances for whatever reason. It's just not something he's ever had to do because most teams don't have enough other players that can run an offense to let a, a point guard-sized guy just do that. But the thing that they, they bet on, okay, 
the guy to fill this role who could be a spark plug, who can be, you know, kind of our backup and also play a little bit with Russ, saying, okay, we need that guy is one decision. But then there's a second decision to go, that guy is Dennis Schroeder, who makes $15.5 a year for the next three seasons. And this is a big, big bet by Sam Presti that it's going to work out because if there was value for Dennis Schroeder on the trade market, Atlanta would have found it by now. There, There is none. I, I can assure you. There was literally no value for Dennis Schroeder on the trade market at all. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, no. look at look at Phoenix and Orlando. Phoenix and Orlando both need point guards, a point guard in the worst way. I mean, Phoenix, maybe they're going to try to do some interesting concept that I, I'm not seeing right now and Dev, Devin Booker at the one or something well, they're, else. They're clearly going to, I mean, they're, I, they're either going to start Shaq Harrison with Devin Booker and have Devin Hooker, Booker handle the ball or Devin Booker is going to be their point guard, right. like James Harden. And I, I, my guess is it's going to be probably the former, but... Or the, start the with the former and go to the latter if it doesn't right, work. Right, right. I mean, uh, the, they're, they're going to they're gonna use... Igor Kokoskov seems unquestionably going to use Devin Booker like James Harden, like in many ways that the Jazz did with Donovan Mitchell last year. I mean, I, that that seems to be the formula there. But to your point, they, they don't have a play guard at all. Yeah, or even a ba- They don't even have a backup play guard unless that's going to be Shaq Harrison, but he can't be the starter right. in the back at the same time. And then Orlando... Right. Right now, they have Jerry and Grant and DJ Augustine, and so right. they need somebody. And sure, for both of those teams, the prospect of adding salary for another two years, $15.5 million, wasn't exactly appetizing. But they both went, nah, we're good. And yeah. nobody else nobody else was particularly interested either. And so Dennis Shooter has been readily available for months and months and months. He and was, was, he was pro- I, I would assume he was readily available in February as well. <laughs> I can assure you, he has been available for months and months and months. And at, that's long before Trey Young was on the board and any of that stuff. This is not this is not uh, because of any of those things. So yeah, he to, to to put it mildly, he did not have a ton of value on the market. And we haven't even discussed the fact that he has been charged with aggravated assault, which is a felony, and you know, there is a chance he is convicted of a felony. So I mean Oof. there's you know, there's there's a lot going on. I mean, probably, you know, given how these things generally work. I think it's unlikely that happens, but I mean, again, it's just there. There are many reasons why Dennis Schroeder was not uh, sought after, and that's one of them. Yeah, I mean, so that, and then also, I mean, Dennis Schroeder. So, from a game perspective, we're talking surely on the court. You have the the lack of experience with this kind of a role of playing next to another ball dominant player. Remember, Paul George likes the ball in his hands too. This is not yep. a he is not Danny Green out there, and yep. you know that was an issue going back to Indiana. I mean, there were some some times where that created conflict, and also something that that is so strange about this to me is that there was not a pressing need for <clears throat> Oklahoma City to get a backup point guard. They already signed Raymond Felton. Raymond Felton is not an amazing backup point guard, but he is a good backup point guard. They had him at the minimum. The luxury tax considerations, the repeater tax considerations for this Oklahoma City franchise are absolutely massive. And, I mean, maybe the ownership is willing to pay it. Kudos to them if they are. But that is an, another facet of this. But then the other part is is beyond the, the assault possibility and everything else, is that Dennis Schroeder is not exactly the most simpatico, do-whatever-the-team-needs-me-to-do type of guy. And... If he is not willing to play ball here, we just talked about how there was no trade value for him. It might not become dead money, but it be- it could become something pretty close to it. And we just saw the Thunder deal with a, a guy who certainly had more of a pedigree and more of a relationship with their best players, but who chafed at having a smaller role. And Dennis Schroeder is 
challenging in some of those same ways without necessarily bringing some of the upside that Carmelo Anthony had. Right. And frankly, Carmelo, for what people want to say about him outside of the league and in the media in terms of, you know, kind of his public perception from, you know, trying to get paid the most money and that kind of stuff, which, you know, the fact that that's something that is frowned upon is a, probably a discussion for another day. Uh, but that being said, he's a guy that is pretty much universally beloved among players. Really good guy, uh, good guy in the locker room. Like, you know, despite some of the talk about him not wanting to, you know, be a backup last year, he's not a guy that, you know, complained, you know, publicly really about anything that was going on with him. He, you know, got along with their star players. I think you can, ar- I, I would argue that making that trade helped convince, you know, Westbrook to sign his extension and it probably helped in, in some way convince Paul George to stay. So I actually think even with everything that happened, trading for him was a win for the Thunder. But to your point, yes. I mean, Dennis Schroeder, not exactly a choir boy in any respect. Um, I, I, the Thunder, I, this is what the Thunder would say. You know, he is a big fan of Russell Westbrook. Uh, I, I don't know if it was his idol as a kid, but he, he definitely, that's definitely a guy he looks up to. I think their hope is that playing with him will lead to, you know, some of those issues kind of dying down, playing on a team where there are two established stars. You know, maybe he falls in the pecking order a little bit where he should. And, you know, look, the Thunder don't have a lot of scoring options besides those two guys, right? So I, I think their hope is that, you know, Schroeder comes in, he can be, you know, kind of the hub of their off, you know, kind of have the ball in his hands a lot when Russell Westbrook isn't on the court. He could potentially close some games for them. If he is willing to work on, uh, you know, work defensively and put out effort, he does have the tools to be an impactful defensive player. Um, if he's willing to put in the effort, he could be helpful for them there. And, you know, I think they look to next summer when there's a lot of cap space on the market. You know, he wouldn't be the first guy to go to a change, go to a new place, get a change of scenery, um, you know, kind of revive his career and, you know, potentially get flipped for something else later. Right. I mean, I think that if you want to ask them, I mean, I, I think what they would argue is, you know, hey, this is a great situation for this guy. We can have him come in here. He can get the ball in his hands a lot. He, he isn't going to start, but he'll, he should get big minutes. He should get a lot of shots. You know, maybe he won't put up quite the same numbers, but, you know, if we're a good team, maybe he could contend for six man of the year. And then, you know, with a different shine on him, you know, maybe he's a guy we can move in a year, right? And the other thing I think they would say is that, you know, I, this is logic I've always found kind of amusing, but they would argue, look, we are going to be buying out Carmelo. You, you add that in a minimum guy, that's what, 10 and a half, close to $11 million. We're paying Dennis 15 and a half. That's, you know, a little bit extra every year, but not a ton. So, you know, from their perspective, I think that's how they looked at it. And they got an asset for a guy instead of giving him away for nothing um, in Carmelo. But I, I agree with you. I mean, there there is, you know, in, in the pick, you know, it's a pick in a couple of years. They should be a lottery team. But still, there's there's some real, you know, potential for downside here. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out and if, uh, you know, if they are able to, you know, get the kind of value out of this that they hope they can. And on the negative side of it, I think you look at a guy who was rumored as being a potential kind of companion piece for Dennis Schroeder, which is Brandon Knight. I mean, Brandon Knight has been saddled with injuries and also not being as good as Dennis Schroeder in the first place. But he hasn't rehabbed his value at all. (laughs) And and it's unlikely to me that even... With a successful year, and to, be, uh, and to be fair to him, I mean, he did blow his knee out and oh, yeah. was injured last year. So sure. I mean, it, it, this is the first year he's going to have a chance to actually do that, and maybe he'll be able to. It would be great you know, if he the, did. 
I'd be right. super excited with, about that. Right, with Igor there in a in a in a system that that might suit his skills a little better, maybe maybe he will be able to do that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's no guarantee that's going to happen, and it, certainly they have taken on some risk in doing it. But I think from their side, it's look, we're already capped out. This is kind of what we could do with our roster. This is the best this is the best option we had, as opposed to just buying this guy out and getting nothing out of him. You know, and and, to, and Sam Presti, time and again, has bet on talent. I mean, this is a guy who uh, signed Neuro as well this off season has. You know, went and got Deion Waiters a couple of years ago when nobody won. I mean, he this is kind of, you know, his time and again gone after high pedigree talents and tried to, you know, get them a new lease on life where they're at. And, you know, they're certainly going to hope that Schroeder's going to do the same thing. I think people being skeptical of that, though, have every reason to be skeptical that it's going to work out. And I love that Presti also got a total Presti guy in TLC in the same trade. It's like just his, his ongoing collection of intriguing perimeter defenders that can't really shoot super well. Yes, is, is, he will. He will. He will probably be the 85th potential three and D wing without the three that the uh, that the, the Thunder have collected over the past ten yeah, years. Yeah, and and while we've been recording, they traded Dakari Johnson for Rodney Purvis, and assuming they don't keep Purvis on, that probably opens the door for Hamadou Diallo to join TLC, and they could just they could just run a third unit that is all of those guys. And and we'll, ah, we'll that's see. interesting. The interesting thing about that is they already are at I want to say two. Now they have two open roster spots, so mm-hmm. you wonder. You wonder whether that means they're going to sign Diallo in, say a Kevin Herbie off the, from their second round picks, or are they going to, you know, sign those guys in two ways and sign another big maybe to a minimum contract? I mean, they get a guy like Greg Monroe maybe who's still hanging out. I mean, there's there's a lot of options out there for those minimum deals. I'll be curious to see what they wind up with. Yeah, or maybe they can try to find another another two guard who can't shoot, and they can just keep on <laughs> keep on the, keep the collection going. I, I, I don't That's off right. the top of my head know who that would be. But yeah, and so for me, what, what's so interesting is like, so for, for Oklahoma City, there are these strong positives and strong negatives. You can think about the trade however you want. A lot of it depends on your analysis of Dennis Schroeder. For Atlanta, to me, this is an unambiguous positive. I mean, they did give up the remainder of their cap space for this year. I don't think that was super valuable. You know, like, I, and the pick that they got in this deal, I think, is less valuable than the pick. Brooklyn got from Denver and theoretically they could have made that trade if they didn't do the Jeremy Lin component you know that there there are all those things but getting out of Dennis Schroeder's money is a pretty significant positive for them because now they don't have to worry about that anymore that you know what if that had become a negative asset I mean if it stayed a negative asset it's probably more fair if it stayed a negative asset then that would have been a complication. They still would have had enough money to do whatever they wanted. They don't have to deal with having Dennis Schroeder on their roster. They don't have to worry about stretching him or anything crazy like that. And so for them, and Mike Muscala wasn't going to move the needle. They have a bunch of other guys they can try for those minutes and everything else. So for them, I I just really like this deal. It's not perfect. It's not a a slam dunk, but it's a solid move from a team that hasn't made a lot of those kind of like unambiguously positive ones. Yeah, and I think when you look back to last week when the the Hawks passed on the the Nuggets trade to make the Jeremy Lin trade, I I think when you pair it in concert with this, uh, I think it makes a lot more sense, you know, considering it would have been hard for them to make the money work if they'd made that other trade to then try to make this trade also. Like you said, they might not have gotten the same asset that they would have gotten for taking on the expiring money from Denver, but getting out of $30 million uh, and picking up a first-round pick is a pretty substantial return. 
for me. You know, yeah, maybe they don't get the first-round pick, but even still, I, I think escaping from that money with the potential for a first-round pick without giving up an asset, I, I think is a pretty significant win for them. And like I said, in concert with the move last week, I think, you know, the, the total picture makes a lot more sense than maybe it did a week ago when people, I think, fairly said, well, why didn't you just make the, the deal with, with Denver? I think when you look at it in concert with this and the fact they're able to get out of Schroeder by doing it this way, um, uh, you know, I, I think if you pair it all together, it makes a lot more sense. And then you have the Philly component of this trade where they basically dumped. Oh, and that's another part of this that I liked for Atlanta is getting Justin Anderson. I mean, really a, a flyer for them. I like Justin Anderson as a potential, you know, rotation guy. And if it doesn't work out, big whoop, you had him on your roster for either just for training camp or for a year. There wasn't much of an opportunity cost for them. But so for Philly, they traded basically TLC and Justin Anderson as cap filler to, and because they have this roster crunch, which still does exist for Mike Muscala. And so for me, I, I don't think Mike Muscala is a particularly great player. Sure, maybe they wanted a four-spacing big. Muscala is fine for that. I don't think he's amazing. We we can argue pretty cleanly that he, he's not a positive value on that contract because he chose that contract because he could have been a free agent if he'd wanted to. And maybe there was risk involved and that's why he didn't do it. I think it's because he wouldn't have gotten an offer anywhere close to that. For me, it's not a it's not like a bad trade or a devastating like this is this is why the Sixers are going to fail or anything like that. But what bothered me a lot about this trade from Philly's perspective is that they do have this roster crunch. But I think for whatever reason, there are a lot of people in our business who think of that as a more immediate concern than it is, especially when a team doesn't have it uh, an issue in terms of the salary cap, which the the Sixers do not. Which is basically you only have to cut down to fifteen guys when the regular season starts. So. They use these guys as salary filler anyway. So basically, they did the worst-case scenario, which was dumping these guys without getting an asset return, depending on the margin between Muscala and a minimum contract. So basically, what they could have done, and what I would have done, is said, they are probably going to end up on the outside looking in. If we can get an asset for one or both, even if it's like a you know a middling second-round pick, probably not in the bottom 10, because I don't consider that an asset, but uh, anything above that... Sure, maybe we consider taking it. But otherwise, give these guys three months, and maybe they surprise us. Maybe we also have an injury or a, someone underperforms relative to somebody else. Maybe somebody really likes Wilson Chandler or something else that we do. And I don't like, and this might be just not having a general manager out there, it seems like they took upside off the table for no real good reason. Well, I mean, I think, again, part of this that you have to consider is the fact that I don't think they would have made this deal if Nemanja Bielisa didn't bail on them very strangely this week and back out of an agreement they thought they had, right? So they, I think they thought he was going to be able to give them what are sending the Soviet did last year as a big, you could space the floor. Now with Muscala, uh, they have that ability there, and there really wasn't a guy available in free agency that they could go get that would kind of fill that for them. And I think the guys they moved on from, I just don't really, I don't think much of personally. Uh, I don't think TLC or, or Justin Anderson are, are really difference makers for them anyway. Mascala fits a role for them. Uh, they still have the room uh, mid-level to go get a guy if somebody strikes a fancy. And they did sign Jonah Bolton today uh, to a multi-year contract. So I get why they did what they did. Um, I don't think this trade happens if Bielitsa doesn't uh, back out on them. And I, I think it was more just a matter of, hey, we can jump in on this trade and we could get a guy that can give us some, you know, can be a, a player who can help us this year, uh, even if he is a little overpaid, to your point. And the opportunity cost for us, while I get the flexibility part, uh, I, I just don't think the opportunity cost for them was that high. Yeah, and especially because the, the money part doesn't really matter if, if they don't consider, it's more the asset cost of Lowell Cabarro and 
and Anderson because five million versus two and a half million, they're over the they're going to be over the cap. They're right at it pretty much right now. There is this weird bit of the timing, but again, I think this was what happened with Bielitsa, that they they had to clear a little bit of cap through the Rashawn Holmes trade to sign Jonah Bolden. They got a little bit caught in the lurch, but again, I'm sympathetic there because of the Bielitsa point, which I think is very well taken, that they kind of thought this was together more than it was. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it, it necessarily does too much. It's just for me, any time that a team leaves a little bit of value on the table when they're as good as the Sixers are, I get a little bit queasy. And I'm also lower on Muscala than some people are. I just think he's I think he's fine. And there's a certain point where three-point shooting for the sake of three-point shooting is not as intriguing to me. And, like, I, I like, for example, I don't think the margin between Muscala and Channing Fry is that big. And I also don't understand at all why Channing Fry signed, why, why the Cavs signed Channing Fry, why Channing Fry signed with the Cavs with their roster the way it is. There's a whole other conversation about why Cleveland being a ghost this offseason is dis- really disappointing to me. But that's a, that's a conversation for a different day, too. Plenty more to talk about with Tim Bontemps, but I want to take a moment to tell you about our friends at Quip. The truth of the matter is that most of us are brushing our teeth incorrectly. That could be because it's not for long enough. It could be because we're not changing our brush heads quickly enough on time. And a lot of that is because most brands focus on selling gimmicks rather than better brushing, not Quip. I've been super impressed with Quip. I've had one for, I think, a year and a half now. And it's an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the price of bulkier brushes while still packing the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. It has a great built-in timer, the best one of any electric toothbrush I've ever used, and I've been using using them since I was, I think, in high school. And it, it really does these guiding pulses to make sure that you're changing spots of your mouth at the, right, at the right time, changing quadrants, and then that you brush for a full two minutes, which is super important. And then they do these subscription plans, which are fantastic. And they're, they're for your health, not just for your convenience. They give you both a new brush head and a battery on the dentist-recommended schedule, which is every three months, and it's just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. Comes with a mount that can suction your mirror for those who have limited counter space. It can be incredibly valuable. It is a fabulous product. They're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists, and I highly recommend you check it out for yourself, just like I have. They start at just $25, so you go to getquip.com, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash GM. And what you get if you go to that URL is you get your first refill pack for free. So again, you go to getquip.com, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash real GM, like the name of this podcast, tells them that you came from us and you get a free first refill pack to check it out. I'm consistently impressed with their product. I'm confident you will be too. Also, I have a message from our friends at TrueCar. Here are a few useful car tips that you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage, and you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip that you also might not know about. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right, True Car is not just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users can see what others paid so they know if they are getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. I think one of one of the parts of this that I find, I think is, so the Sixers are a part of this conversation, though maybe not in the way that they hoped, is now that we have 
have a three-team race kind of at the top of the Eastern Conference, I think that's substantially more interesting than two because, A, it puts more pressure on getting the one seed. Theoretically, if we assume those teams are the top three, you'd rather you'd rather play one of those teams than two. And because all of them are actually pretty well situated to handling the others. So this isn't a circumstance of like, you know, kind of rock, paper, scissors, where one team is better at one specific than the other. I'm really intrigued on how the Sixers, Celtics, and Raptors face off against each other. Yeah, totally. I I think that that, you know, the fact that there is a third team now in the Eastern Conference that's got a chance to really contend, I think is a good thing for everybody. And listen, I, I think you can make a pretty credible argument right now that top three teams in the the east uh are up there with anybody in the west that isn't golden state you know which i I think you know speaks to the fact that you know for all the hand-wringing about you know where the conferences are i think when you look at you know this Kawhi trade especially if Kawhi sticks there long term you know those are three teams that i think could compete with anybody in the west now you can say obviously some of the teams lower than that are not in the same tier which i would certainly agree with but there's no question that makes it more interesting and as far as cleveland goes uh look i mean I, i think it's very safe to say that you look at the situation the Cavs are in and they clearly decided that their path forward was to be as competitive as possible this year and you know in doing so they put themselves in a position where you know they're going to be they're going to have a chance i think to make the playoffs and you can argue that that's a a a dumb decision on their part to try to be the eight seed in the east and i I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that from a long-term standpoint i i don't think this is the same as the raptors who are in a position where they don't really have anywhere to go right are not the raptors i mean the spurs who don't have anywhere to go with their situation obviously the the Cavs have much more flexibility to do something different and should be trading guys like Kyle Corver and J.R. Smith and Kevin Love and, and whoever else they can really get, George Hill, whatever they can get for them and really kind of blow that thing up. But, you know, look, I think there's a chance the Lakers miss the playoffs, and I think there's a chance the Cavs make the playoffs, and I think the Cavs also think that. And if, if you think Dan Gilbert was going to pass up a chance to potentially make the playoffs when LeBron James doesn't, no matter how nicely worded his goodbye letter was this time compared to the Comic Sans ran of the last time, I don't think there's any way that they're going to pass up on that until they're in a position where they know it can't happen. So maybe there's a fire sale midseason if things go badly, but I think that team has enough talent to kind of drag itself along and fight for the eight seed in the East. And because of that, I think, you know, whether it's the right move or not, I think we both are on the same wavelength as to whether it's the right move or not. I think that the Cavs are going to try to exhaust that possibility until they see that it's gone, and then maybe then they'll start to move some guys. It has set up a very different Eastern Conference because I would still argue that the even though I've liked a lot of what the Nets have done this year, that the the bottom five of the East last year, so that would be New York, Brooklyn, Chicago, Orlando, and Atlanta. To me, as presently constituted, none of those teams are playoff teams. You know, maybe somebody surprises where you're dealing with a universe of outcomes. If one of them gets on the higher end, you know, in the top 10% of their outcomes, they could. They could. I would say Brooklyn has a chance to be just because I, I think they've got enough guys. They have a lot of talent. Are, they have a lot of talent and they're, they're going to be well coached and they're going to play hard. So I, I think they have a chance. I think the other four, I agree. I mean, the, the Bulls have talent. They're just, their defense <laughs> is going to be hilariously bad. And they're Oh, wait, wait. You think, I mean, you think Jabari Parker, but they don't, they don't pay people in the NBA to play defense. I mean, that's just a whole, that's just a whole other discussion we're just going to set aside. But I mean, I, I, I you know, the, the Bulls do have talent and I, I am actually genuinely excited to watch them because I think they're going to be interesting. And I think Wendell Carter could be a monster and oh, Larry Market yeah. is a great foundation. But all that being said, they're, they're not good enough. And the Magic, the Hawks and the Knicks are going to be wretched. Uh, so, I mean, that those, those four out of the mix. But to kind of what your point was going to be, I, I would include Brooklyn in this mix, but between Brooklyn, 
Cleveland, Charlotte, and Detroit, there's four teams fighting for the eight seed at minimum. I think you could probably lump in the Heat into that mix. And I wouldn't even be shocked if uh, Indiana fell back into that mix if, you know, some of the gains they made last year regress a little bit. I'd be, you know, I, I don't expect that, but I wouldn't be stunned. So, I mean, you're talking about, you know, a morass of teams where, you know, if Cleveland stays healthy, you know, I think they're going to have a chance to be in that mix. And like I said, I think that any chance of Dan Gilbert giving up on that when he sees the, the Lakers maybe being a fringe playoff team in the West and, even if the Lakers win 10 more games, if the Cavs get into the playoffs and the Lakers don't, you know, Dan Gilbert will probably be just, you know, not as happy as winning the championship as that, but he's certainly not going to be upset. I'm going to write on this at some point, but it's just something to factor in with Pacers, who I like. I like a lot of what they've done, and I'm impressed with Nate McMillan's job. Something I always try to look at is teams that are very high in terms of their own three-point shooting and also had very fortunate opponent three-point shooting. Right. Because that's, that you know, it's kind of, it's not always luck on both sides. There are ways that you can affect it. You know, you can have good shooters, you can give good shooters good shots, and then defensively, you know, contesting and all that can help. I, I am not a believer in really letting the right guys shoot or anything like that in the overall sample of the regular season. Well, the Indiana Pacers last year, per cleaning the glasses sorted stats, which I think are much more pertinent in this than the overall season stats because of what they filter out. Indiana was seventh in three-point shooting themselves, and they had the fifth, sorry, the fourth lowest opponent three-point shooting percentage the past year. So if that starts to slide a little bit, you know, the, if the opponents start making a few more, if they make a few less, then you're, they're, they're probably still going to make the playoffs, but I think they're in this mix. And the other point, if you're talking about four teams, let's say, for one spot, especially if, as I think we both have it, that Brooklyn at this point is probably a little lower in terms of talent than these other teams, is that being healthy is probably enough to make the big difference, and any injury, you know, will, will make a will make a big factor there. So yeah, I can understand it from Cleveland's logic. Again, this is defining success. Teams can define success however they want. I would rather lock up. You know, they have they have the pick that's top ten protected. I would rather see if you can get any assets and see what you have in guys like Colin Sexton and and Jetty Osman and actually that's pretty much about it, but go in that direction and maybe have taken some flyers on more young guys, which I think was a huge missed opportunity for this team, you know, not going after like Travion Graham or any of these, or Patrick McCaw or any of these kind of young guys that are just floating in the ether this year instead of just sitting on your mid-level exception, like those sorts of things. And I, I define success differently, but that's the, one of the big perks of owning an NBA team is that you get to define this. Another example of that was Steve Ballmer. I, I actually think that the Clippers did a spectacular job so far this offseason of working within the constraints of what their owner wanted, and that's that he wanted a competitive team that was still flexible moving forward. And I think they really accomplished both of those goals better than I expected, even though those wouldn't have been the goals that I would have been pursuing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, meanwhile, the Los Angeles Lakers have made another signing. You want to take a guess? I just saw it. I am unreasonably excited. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, Michael Beasley. Michael. So Michael Beasley and JaVale McGee on the same. Are they just going to sign Nick Young, too? Like, where? where is this? What? What is LeBron, LeBron James? Like, he built this entire thing. He had all these, like, they weren't even passive-aggressive. They were more, like, active-aggressive comments during the NBA Finals about playing with smart players, doing all this stuff. And yeah, sure, you've got Rajon Rondo. You could you have a Connect Four champion on your team, but then you also have JaVale McGee, Lance Stevenson, and Michael Beasley. Sweet Lord. Oh my god. It is rather amazing. It is rather amazing. It's rather it's rather amazing. It's probably a good time to talk about the Lakers. Wait, also they gave him three and a half million dollars. What? Uh, so so they gave so they gave Michael Beasley their room exception. Or pretty dang close to it. Yeah. Right. right. What? <laughs> 
I mean, he was pretty good for the Knicks last year. He but, was. But uh, he's he's really not what they needed. They still don't have a starting center. I, that's uh, it, I mean, let's let's talk about the Lakers. I, I'm not trying to take over your podcast, but no, let's it, do uh, it. Yeah, there's there's a lot to discuss. I mean, this team is so strangely put together. If their goal is to be competitive this coming season, they have players who have been good in the past. They have players who will be good in the future. They have players that don't necessarily make a ton of sense together, but it's something. It is something. I just don't really quite get what what the plan is. Like you said, uh, again, like they could have. I would. I would have much rather than take them the, the room exception and sign a center that can play. Uh, whether it's Greg Monroe or Alex Lynn or Montrezl Harrell and Offer Sheet or just somebody who can play there. I mean, they're currently, they seem to be planning on starting JaVale McGee at center. Uh, then I guess they're going to play Mo Wagner at center. There's talk that LeBron is going to be a small ball center. That, that does not really jive with me with what LeBron has done the past few years. You know, I, I get to a point with if LeBron, you know, LeBron I know was interested in ball handling and having ball handling around him. So if he instructed them to get Lance Stevenson and Rondo, you know, at some point you just say, Sherry, the best player of all time. If you want these players, we'll get them for you. But the overall control structure of the team has been rather confusing and I'm, I'm just very fascinated to see what this team looks like because uh, if LeBron is going to play 25 minutes a game at center then great that'll be a fun team to watch but if he isn't really interested in doing that yeah I he's not going to do that it's, it's hard to imagine right I, I've I mean, been I so honesty, I, I, people have people have been bringing this up as an intellectual exercise as somebody who has spent the last few years covering a team that would be better if a key player played center but he doesn't in the regular season because it makes no sense this isn't going to happen I mean they LeBron doesn't want to take the wear and tear of going after these guys all the time unless they're going to do some sort of pseudo center thing where somebody else guards the fives and then he's not actually playing center because other but teams who's going to guard but who's going to guard the fives i don't know I mean, maybe maybe brandon it, Ingram. Say, I, I don't understand but yeah, it's their best lineup fascinating. their best lineup is probably the four young guys in lebron well then lebron has to guard centers because literally none of i mean all those other guys weigh 180 pounds yeah so, and i mean I, summer league summer league mvp josh hart just had a nice year he's an interesting fit but they got kcp and so they're going to have to balance all that out and then you think about the ego clutch part of that whole dynamic like if josh hart is better than kcp does he even get to start all that. And like I'm thinking about this, Dan Devine tweeted on July 2nd, I think this was after the Rondo signing, that the Lakers were a lot like that Suicide Squad Grizzlies team, that, that patchwork quilt that made the playoffs, except that they have LeBron and they aren't injured, at least as of right now. It's so shocking to me that LeBron went to LA and this is the team they chose to build around him, even for a one-year experiment, because... I can't imagine this being fun for him. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating. I mean, we should just get into the overall picture of the Lakers. I've heard a lot of people say, I can't pick against LeBron making the playoffs because he's LeBron James. And that, that's fine. That's a position I respect uh, on some level. But to me, I look at this team and... I just don't see how they're going to end up being one of the eight best teams in the West. I really don't. This is a team that last year, I think, finished seventh in the NBA in defense that has lost, you know, a guy who was a big part of that in a lot of ways, I think, and Julius Randle in the second half of the year and replaced him with JaVale McGee, a team that has added LeBron James, who, while I think he's the best player of all time at this point, 
Um, he has not played that hard defensively the last few years during the regular season. Last year he played all 82 games. I don't see him doing that again. I don't see him playing the most minutes in the league again. Perhaps he will. Uh, perhaps he'll want to drag this team over the finish line as the seventh or eighth seed. But I, I look at the pieces around him and I, I just, I don't think this team is as talented as the Cavs team last year that everybody mocked all year. Um, and they're playing in the West where, as we've gone through a couple times, there's just a ton of loaded teams out there. I, I mean, look, I could very well end up being proven wrong, and LeBron is, you know, like I said, I do think he is legitimately in the conversation, if not the greatest player of all time. So perhaps this will be another example for him, another way for him to prove that. But, man, uh, like you said, I mean, this to me, this whole situation could get really bad, really ugly, really quick. And if they are 10 and 20 or 10 and 15 on on December 15th, and they're already five or six games out of a playoff spot, you know, what happens then, right? Like, I they're they're going to be really fascinating because I, I don't I just I just don't know what the the plan is going forward from there there's there's a lot to there's a lot to take in it is reasonable I mean granted there will be injury risk and all that to kind of say that the threshold the threshold in terms of wins in the Western Conference right now to make the playoffs that you would expect it to be let's say 47 48 I think that's completely fair to say Last year, a more talented roster, though they did have the uncertainty with Kyrie leaving and Isaiah and everything else, in the Eastern Conference, the Cleveland Cavaliers won 49 games. So with LeBron playing, with LeBron all, 82 playing games, all 82 games and, and, the, and a lot of minutes. Team. Yeah, and, and a, a lot of continuity as well, even though you know they did have the moves that happened. Right. It's yeah. I think that there's a chance that they don't make plays. I, I I think that you know LeBron can ramp it up if it's if it's anywhere close. The possibility of getting a Lakers, Rockets, or Warriors first round series is certainly high, and that is completely bonkers. But yeah, I mean, the, it's what's so frustrating to me about about all of this is so I talked about this a little bit with Ben Golliver. I think that was last week. God, it feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> on the show was that. I always assumed that a team, not assumed, but there was just kind of a a correlation, that a team that did the moves that the Lakers made to clear the space and the discipline and everything else to get LeBron James and to keep all their young talent other than D'Angelo Russell, that that a team that did all those moves right and wanted LeBron and had a, a, a very strong focus on LeBron James would then be able to build a team that made sense around LeBron James because it isn't particularly complicated. It can be hard to find the right pieces just in terms of, you know, they're not always available. We've talked about the value of three and wings a lot on the show. But who, who fits and who doesn't isn't exactly a complicated conversation. And it seems like they didn't particularly care about that. Right. And like I said, I think the uh, the Rondo and, La- and Lance pieces, you know, that that seems very clear that that was a LeBron directive to or at least he was heavily consulted on those guys, which, OK, if LeBron wants those guys, like like I said before, fine, go sign those guys. Right. But like, again, the JaVale signing doesn't really make a lot of sense. The money for Rondo doesn't make a lot of sense. The money for Lance doesn't make a lot of sense. Like you could have, pro- I think you could have gotten Rondo for less than that. I think you could have easily gotten Lance for the minimum, personally, or at least should have been able to get him for less than what they gave him. Especially because they, especially because they then didn't. Sorry about that. Especially because they then didn't use the the room exception to sign Lance anyway. They signed him with cap space because they executed it early, which still doesn't make a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's now they signed Michael Beasley, who seems quite redundant with the other pieces on their roster. I don't, you know, they already have LeBron and Kuzma. And Ingram and you know Luol Deng and Brandon you know and 
Josh Hart, uh, and KCP. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of wing players. It's just hard to understand exactly what the overall plan is, like you said. And, you know, I, you know, you look at that lock. I mean, that, that locker room now has JaVale McGee, Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson, and Rajon Rondo with LeBron James. Plus, you have the social media warring kids in the room. I mean, it, it's just going to be a very strange year for the Lakers. And I, I think people just automatically assuming they're going to be this, you know, great team because LeBron is there, I think are just kind of willfully ignoring the facts in front of them, which is that it's a weirdly built roster, like you said, that I think is going to have a lot of trouble. It was going to have a lot of trouble being as good as, as people expect it to be just because LeBron is there. One other small point from a team building perspective that I'm very disappointed in the Lakers for not getting right is they're the Los Angeles Lakers and they have LeBron James. You do not need to fill all 15 roster spots with guaranteed contracts because you are going to get buyout guys and you are going to get guys for the minimum. So concentrate what you have in a few guys and then just have the, and, and you know, then sign Svi, sign Bonga if you want to sign Bonga, whatever you're going to do there. And then you're probably going to get two or three interesting buyout guys that are going to be, I think there are going to be a lot of those on this market. And now they've filled up their team with the Island of Misfit Toys and there's no real estate left for anybody else. And there are going to be guys that hit the buyout market who are better than the ones they have. Maybe they, maybe they have the guts to just cut one, a couple of these guys loose if it doesn't work out. But that's a much bigger ask than just kind of keeping the space open and seeing who, who becomes available. Yeah, no question at all. It's one of many interesting moves or any, one of many interesting decisions the Lakers have made over the past uh, Yeah. Over the past few well, weeks. And so Ben last week talked about how he had this sympathy because that conversation happened when the Jabari news, I think, broke while we were recording that podcast. And so he talked about how that was another hard coaching job for Fred Hoiberg. Congratulations, Luke Walton. You have another brutal job right now. <laughs> and that that is certainly true. I mean, that is going to be a that is going to be a very difficult situation all the way around. I am truly fascinated to see how how Luke handles it because it, it's not going to be easy on any level. There are a million other things we could talk about, but is there anything that you feel is truly pressing that we should discuss? I mean, the one thing we didn't talk about with the Carmelo trade, which you probably should before we go, is just what his fit is going to be like in Houston, given unless something very weird happens, he will be signing with the Rockets sometime in the next 72 hours or so, whenever he... Well, yeah, and I, th- I think the Beasley, the Beasley signing points to that as well, because... Well, he, he was, I can pretty much tell you, he was going to Houston yeah. already. I, I don't think Beasley... The, the Lakers and, um, and Heat, I'm sure, are going to still talk to him, but uh, I... I think something really bizarre is going to have to happen for him not to go to him go to Houston now. Melo on Houston is a challenging proposition because I think that when Harden and or Chris Paul are on the floor, his positives are not nearly as valuable because he's better with the ball in his hands than without, and he can do certain things like some of the hawk set stuff that the that OKC ran successfully. And Mike D'Antoni has experience using Carmelo Anthony before, so maybe he'll have some some nice wrinkles there. And then defensively he's basically unplayable against the best of the best. And one of the big problems for the Rockets is if this Western Conference is as good as we think it is, that's like the whole the whole playoffs for them. And if Melo has enough equity or just popularity with the players or whatever, I don't think it's going to be with the coaching staff for pretty obvious reasons, then you either have to choose between making him unhappy or making your team worse. And we can ask Billy Donovan how that works out. Yeah. It's it's definitely a challenging fit. It's definitely a challenging fit overall. Um, it's definitely a situation where you know they they think they can maximize him as a as a stretch four for them. Yeah, I just I, I don't really get the fit. I don't really I, I I get why he wants it. I get why the players you know James Harden Chris Paul want it, but I, I just don't. 
they had a formula that worked, and I know they're going to try to replicate it this year, and they're still going to try to switch, but I just think Houston's taking a real step back, and maybe James Ennis can turn into that kind of player. You know, Maybe they can find another guy in the scrap heap. Maybe DeAnthony Melton, who had a nice summer league, can develop into an impact player for them on the wing. I, don't, I just don't overall like the fit of Melo in Houston, and I, I think you know it, I want the Rockets to be really good because I want them to really challenge Golden State, but I, I just think... I, I just think their offseason, like to me, as I've said a few times, I think losing a reason Bob Mute, I think, had a much bigger impact on the championship chase than, you know, either the Lakers getting LeBron or the Warriors getting DeMarcus Cousins. I, I just think it really made, took a huge blow to Houston's chances, and maybe they can replicate that somewhere, but I, I think it's going to be hard for them to do that. And we know how hard it is to find players who can both fit in Houston's scheme defensively and not damage their offensive approach by hurting their spacing by being either reluctant or bad three-point shooters. It's hard to find those guys, and it's very possible that Daryl Morey is better at identifying that talent than everybody else, but even if he is better at it, they have to stay healthy, they have to have as many yards, and it's going to be a major challenge. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It's going to require a lot of work from them to make this work. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, and I'm still distracted by the Michael Beasley designing uh, at the same time. The NBA, uh, the NBA never stops, my friend. It's just, it's pretty remarkable. It absolutely is. Well, thank you so much for taking the time in the midst of all this insanity to break it down with us. Hey, man, always happy to come on. This is a lot of fun. Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read him at the Washington Post. Does a lot of great work there. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. It's his name, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. He also does the Posting Up podcast and does a really good mailing thing. I think it comes out on Mondays. I can't remember if there's a specific day, but I do really enjoy it. A good consolidation of what's going on around the league and also some of his own insight. I recommend you subscribe to that as well. It should be pretty easy to find on Twitter or on his Washington Post page. I believe you can find it both spots. Really enjoyed talking with him, as I always do, to get that perspective. And the the conversation about where the Lakers fit in the playoff thing is interesting. I'm not all the way ready yet to do a tears podcast for those who've listened to this for a while. That's something I try to do every few months to get a sense of where everything is. And I do want to do one of those kind of during the middle of the offseason. I just haven't figured out when. And also, of course, getting back probably at the beginning of August to the Capsule podcast, which is bring on two guests and we go in depth on a single division, something I started, I think, four years ago. And both what happened in the offseason and what's going on the regular season, I've already lined up a few of the guests for that. It's not all the way done yet. I'm just timing and everything else and also just waiting for moves to stop. I mean, the Atlantic division was one that I've talked about doing and nope, we're going to wait a few weeks because we need to see how all of this stuff resolves. So I'm excited about that because if more things keep happening, it's more stuff to talk about on the show. And I'll probably do something on Summer League next week. That is the tentative plan right now, but things can change based on guest availability and how quickly I get all my thoughts together. For those of you who listen to Dunked On, Nate and I have started our work and I have a fair amount of my notes together, but they're not all the way there yet. So if you want to support this show, there are a lot of great ways that you can do it. You can subscribe. You can download every episode. Those are great ways because that helps in terms of our metrics. And since the show comes out on an inconsistent day of the week, subscribing, make sure that you know that when it comes in, you get it right into your podcast player, whatever that may be. Along those lines, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player if you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. It's just an important one for us because that helps more eyeballs get on it. But if you listen in something else, 
I would love it if you did reviewed in both, but if you do it in one, I'm, I understand. The most important thing for this and any other podcast that you can do, though, to support it is to check out our sponsors. So MeUndies, MeUndies.com slash RealGM. They get you 15% off that no risk offer. And then if you send your receipt to gift at podcast1.com, put RealGM in the subject line, they'll know that it came from us and you can get that free pair on top of it. So it's a pretty amazing deal, 15% off and then another one for free. So buy two for 85% of one. It doesn't really have a ring to it, but that's the way I think about it. Quip, getquip.com slash RealGM. You get a free refill pack, awesome toothbrush. I've been using it for over a year now and absolutely love it. And then TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get in touch with me. People try to use Twitter and you can, I'm not banning you from doing it, but it's hard to get into the nuance and things get lost in the shuffle a lot. So it's great to promote it if you want to tell other people, hey, you like Real Gym Radio, do that. But if you really want to send me feedback, send it to my email address. And if you take the time to write it, I promise you I will take the time to read it. I don't always respond, though I try to. And if you say that somebody good is coming on, I often tell them that I got that response because it makes them feel happy. And then I consider that as well when I decide who's coming on in the future. So your input really does matter. It has been a big part of shaping the show into what it is. And if you think there are topics that I'm talking about too much or too little, that's another thing as well. Beyond guests, people talk about who I have on a lot. But if you want to say subject matters, talk about X, talk about Y, don't talk about X, don't talk about Y. And if you want more of the kind of the minutiae type of stuff in terms of each transaction, Dunked On is a great place to go. Also, I've been writing a ton for The Athletic because I love doing that. I have a couple pieces in mind for Real GM as well. Those will be coming out in the next little bit. Now, as I get out of Summer League, I actually have the time to write the stuff that I want to write instead of just everything, catching up on everything that's happening. So expect that to start coming in the future. Very, very excited about that. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Take care and make it a great day. Caregivers, are you and the person you care for not satisfied with your current home care agency? Then you need to call Help at Home as we offer the highest paid wages, weekly pay, overtime pay, benefits, and do not forget paid time off. Help at Home is actively recruiting caregivers who are caring for a loved one. We make changing agencies quick and easy. Call one of our care professionals now at 412-784-6711. That's 412-784-6711 or go to helpathomepa.com. Love is in the air, and you know who really deserves some extra love? You, that's who. So treat yourself to a mental pick-me-up with Best Fiends. Unwind with thousands of brain-tickling levels and tons of cute collectible characters. Because even in the shortest month, you deserve all the me time you can get. Ready to boost your brain power? Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends.